Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone out there who's new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer, soda, water, coffee, tea, kombucha, juice in the fridge. Cheers to everyone on planet Earth. Yes, I'm sitting here today with a, a new friend in a different state. Cheers. An, an acquaintance, an accomplice of rock and roll deviancy. Deviancy. I yes. like it. I, you know, that would probably match, you know? Everybody. I, I think that's probably an, an apt description. <laughs> Everybody, please make some noise for my new friend, Bale of the band she wow thank you for having me i was i was ready just to to um to act like i heard the you know laud uh applause coming from the world but there it was right in my head yeah i heard it hey you got it (laughs) oh my god it's been a while since i've done the sound effects so you know the sound effects are on point i love it this is this is great also thank you for keeping juice stocked in the fridge as well juice is important you know i really really like juice so let's get off on a tangent right from the start because it's a podcast and why would we want to stay on track at all (laughs) right so uh you know me like most uh people that still wear graphic t-shirts in their 30s with beards i like beer and things like that right but I've kind of like come to this thing where it's like, you know, I don't need a beer that tastes like chocolate milk or anything like that. And recently I had the realization that I really like tiki drinks, but I'm like, okay, do I really need tiki drinks all the time? Or can I just drink juice? (laughs) I had actually this exact same discussion with a coworker because I was talking about how I forget that I'm an adult, both in just like my, the way I carry myself and speak, but also in that, like, I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be walking through it and I'll like look at specifically like juice and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really wish I could get some, you know, some of that V8 splash or, or man, I, I really want some apple juice, but oh, I don't know if I'm, a, and like in my head, I'm like, am I allowed to get this? And then I like have to stop myself and go, yes, I can, I can get Whatever I want, I am an adult. I get paid for my work. I can spend that money how I see fit. And if I want to get some apple juice, then damn it, I can get some apple juice. And I walked out of that store with some V8 Splash. It was delicious. Oh, I enjoyed every single Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But yeah, juice juice is a real solid thing. I don't know why. I never necessarily neglected it, but I think I was very much like you. I wasn't necessarily walking past the juice aisle and telling myself that I can't buy this. I just kind yeah. of don't think about it. You know, yeah. I've gotten so used to walking past it throughout the years that now I'm just, you're not paying any attention. I think somehow it must have gotten ingrained in my head that juice was a childlike drink. And I'm not a child. I'm an adult. I drink beer and I have to drink things that don't taste sweet and fun and nice. And, um, you know, same same kind of thing. We were at a, at a show and my drummer like, you know, we get beer at every show. That's what you do, right? You're, you're a metal guy. You, you go, you get a beer at the bar. Um, and my drummer went up, came up to me. He's like, hey, do you want anything to drink? And I was like, yeah, man. Uh, and he goes, I'm going to get a whiskey sour. Do you want a whiskey sour? I was like, I haven't had like a cocktail like in 
probably a decade. I was like, I do want a whiskey sour. Yeah. He got me one. We both sipped our whiskey sours and listened to Bongzilla and just had a wonderful time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I think that, you know, of, of any uh, hobbies that have unintentionally, like, really, I don't want to say, like, ruined my life, but maybe pretty close would be getting into beer as a hobby. Why did that happen? Where are you at with this whole beer thing? Beer is a hobby. Look, so I'm my, uh, when my, my bandmates listen back to this, they're going to be like, yep, here it is. Um, (laughs) I, I am a very bad drinker. I, I only really like, uh, you know, light beer and like pale American lagers. Like I, like, I, I, I'll enjoy an IPA, you know, if that's what you got, whatever. But like, if I'm going to the store and getting something to drink, like for beer, for practices, it's always going to be like Keystone light or hams. Like I love cheap beer. I like beer. That's basically water because you can just drink a bunch of it. You don't feel bad about it. It's wonderful. And like when it comes to like liquor, like I don't like good liquor. I don't (laughs) like getting like a nice bourbon. Um, I get, a bottle of Kentucky gentleman, because if I'm getting hard liquor, there's only one reason I'm getting it. And that is to become inebriated. And I don't particularly want to enjoy the drinking. I'm there for the destination, daddy. And so I'm getting a thing of KG for $9 from Kroger. I'm getting a two liter of Coke to chase it with. And that's going to be the end of the night. Like I, I'm I'm not good at at the the hobbyist uh, alcohol consumption, like many of my friends are, who enjoy fine bourbons and going to the distilleries and learning about, you know, this bourbon has hints of vanilla in its nether regions. And it has, ooh, can you feel the savory sage subtly, you know, sliding in between the, the tones? And I'm just like, hey, man, if I drink this, will it get me drunk? Cool. Sure. Sure. I, you know, with uh, you are in Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so in the, in the Louisville, Louisville, yep. how, however, you know, Louis, yeah, Louisville. It's Louisville. you kind of just, you kind of just slur it all together. Yeah, so Louisville, Louisville, right? Yeah. So you're, so you're down, cool. so you're down there. So is it fair to say that like, you know, bourbon for you is like our Primanti brothers? In, in that it's like when people come, they are like, oh, well, we got to have the bourbon because we're here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, whenever because you're you're in, in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in Pittsburgh. Because um, w- whenever I went to Pittsburgh for the first time, I got taken to to Primani Brothers right down the, the street from our, our homie Hux. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, kind of kind of that deal where he was like, all right, you're in Pittsburgh. We're going to take you to Primani Brothers. You're going to enjoy it. I'm not taking you back here a second time, though. You can yeah, do that you on your what? own. I, I'm actually very <laughs> surprised. Cause he seems like somebody that wouldn't take somebody to Primanti's. I don't know how else to put it. I just, I'm very surprised that he did that. He, I think he, he's has the wherewithal to recognize that like, it's a place that you should take someone, you know, like if you can't, if you come down to Louisville, like we'll take you to, to a dive bar and get you just a nice bourbon and, and whatnot. And you would do that. But like, you know, I, I will say I think that the bourbon culture in Louisville is probably stronger than the Primanti Brothers culture for <laughs> locals of of Pittsburgh. I, I don't know if you guys have like the Primanti Brothers tour where just, you go I and just, hit up each I, one. I love like, the yeah. sentence "the Primanti Brothers culture." <laughs> I'm just going to start that Instagram account immediately. The well, I mean, I I would argue if there ever was somewhere that would deserve and this is not not Primanti Brothers, but like. When you're thinking of, you know, um, food and beverage as a culture or as as an identity, 
Um, you know, bourbon, like you said, bur- bourbon is definitely, and whiskey is definitely its own kind of like culture and, and subculture and, and beer to, to an extent as well. You've got people that are really into beer. I would consider myself a member of the Skyline Chili culture. Uh, <laughs> if, if there's a Skyline Chili in your city, I'm coming to it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you on how, yeah. how that Skyline is maintained, run, uh, and serves me the customer you know we don't have a whole lot of like chili places in Mm -hmm. pittsburgh i find that like anytime that i've been in your state which hasn't been Mm -hmm. a whole lot i find that there aren't a whole lot of pizza shops i'm sure you have pizza shops but maybe nowhere near the level that we have in pittsburgh or am i off uh, you're you're kind of on. So there's a couple pizza spots in Louisville. Actually, for a little bit there, there was uh, Impelazeri's had won some national contest as far as like the best pizza spot. Um, I don't know if it's local to Louisville though. It might be like a, a regional chain. Uh, but there, there's a couple really good pizza spots in town. There's or the the most infamous maybe is Spinelli's. I would say, and I mean, I'm going to get all the heat if somebody from town listens because they, they have all the hype. Spinelli's is great if it is 4 a.m. and you would like a slice of pizza and you are highly inebriated um, in any various method. Uh, then Spinelli's is great because they are open at 4 a.m. and will sell you a slice of pizza. They yeah. have met your desire. Any other time of day, I do not want Spinelli's. Sure. It is overpriced. It is not good. Um, but at 4 a.m., if you're inebriated, Spinelli's kind of hits exactly you know, what you need. I, I, I was like, um, but there's a couple other good spots. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think that like your abundance of chili locations that I've seen in Kentucky kind of like is like the flip with us. Because yeah. like there's there's three pizza places on this the dang street that I live on, and it's not that long. It's a small street, you know. Wow. There's a ton in the city here, but I wonder how yeah. much like this, you know, love for Spinelli's or whatever it was called, and this love yeah. for, uh, you know, like cheap beer or bourbon or like this attachment to like ridiculous black metal names and things like that. How much of it is tied to like nostalgia and the things that like, you know, we grew up finding like ourselves and like, Oh, the first time I got drunk off of something or the first time Mm -hmm. I listened to some ridiculous Demu Borgir record or the first time (laughs) I got, you know, blackout with my homies downtown and went to Spinelli's and got that slice at 4am. Like, you know, is that like, I think like so much of those like experiences of what like ties us and makes us like love the things that we love, like more than the actual like quality of the content itself, you know, for sure. And and I don't think that's, um, that's not necessarily surprising though. Right. Because we, we like comfort and we like things that remind us of when we were happier. And generally speaking, I think that oftentimes we, the things from our past bring us a level of comfort, even if that past may have elements or aspects that were bad, we cling to those positive memories as much as we can. Um, I mean, like skyline, for example, like, I mean, I'm on pretty good terms with my dad, but like, I remember like my dad taking me to skyline the first time and being like, this is what, you know, cause he's from Cincinnati and he's like, this is what, you know, the, this is the best spot to get, you know, a cheese coney, you know, it's skyline. And so it has that nostalgic aspect to it. Or like, you know, you see, um, kind of the, the cyclical nature of what's popular or cool in music. Like, you know, when I was a kid, um, <laughs> maybe not cool, but like new metal was a thing. And like people were really into new metal. I was really into it. Like Slipknot was my favorite band all through middle school and high school, which tells you how old I am. Um, and then or all through middle school and then up to like sophomore year of high school. Um, 
And so like, but then I took like a hard left turn out of new metal. I was like, nope, new metal's dumb, but it's come back because now people who are again, my age are like making bands or writing music. And they're like, well, you know, like this was something I liked when I was a kid, like let's play it. And it's gaining this new appreciation from the next generation sure, um, or a younger generation. So it, everything's in cycles, right? You know, mm-hmm. it, it comes and goes. Yeah. You know, you play in a band, you play, We'll just call it, it's rock and roll music for the modern age. What do you feel about, you know, being in a band still? Like, why why do you do it? Why do any of us do this? It's a, it could be a fucking headache. (laughs) Unless like you're in a band with like your best friends. I think that's the only way to make this successful. How does it work for you? Man, I mean, we, we all do it mostly just because we're having fun doing it, man. It's a, um, you know, I, we've been playing as a band. She has, um, she's been playing since I want to say like 2015. So what, five, six years now. Um, and we, we got together because we all were just like wanting to make something and be creative. Like I've played in bands and written in written music, um, just as like a passion hobby, uh, since high school and it's just something I've done and enjoyed doing. And it's a nice creative outlet. And I think most people have, uh, creative outlet of some kind sometimes it's not necessarily actively creating but it's participating in something whether that's you know being a sports fan that becomes part of like a a group um mentality whether it's you know actively creating like art um you know drawing writing what have you um and so you know the band formed because i was wanting to play music with people and i found some dudes that liked doing the same kind of thing and we gelled together and really, you know, what keeps it going more than just the the, the response um, of writing is you're hanging with people that you like hanging with. And that's, I think, the, the key to why we've played for as long as we have and continue to do it is we all enjoy each other's company in addition to the um, fulfillment of, of artistic need, I guess. Yeah, totally. With, you know, the the community that you're in down in Lawwell, Yeah. Uh, You know, you've been, have you lived in that city for like the majority of your life or the majority of like your music career? Like, have you spent Um, a lot of time like getting rooted there? Definitely a majority of the music time. Um, I moved down to Louisville in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and I'm, now I'm trying to think of, no, that wouldn't be the majority yet. We're getting close. <laughs> We're getting close to the majority of my life is in Louisville. Um, yeah. So I moved down in 2007. Um, uh, I like all through college, I was kind of focused on other stuff. Um, and frustratingly. So when I look back, like I didn't get involved in like the local music scene really. Um, until after college in 2011, um, and I was in like a death, uh, a death core band around then. Um, and so like, that was kind of my reintroduction to the local music scene. Um, and I, but I would still say we didn't like really integrate until like she formed, or I didn't really integrate back into the music scene until she formed, um, in 2015. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but I mean, again, six years is, is forever in in like scene time uh or at least it feels like that like i'll i'll think back to shows or bands that i i knew from before um and i'll be like wow like that was forever ago and then you look at the years and it's like oh no that was literally three years ago and i'm like yeah that feels like forever but with 
playing in a deathcore band and navigating mm-hmm. to what you're doing now, which is a lot more. <laughs> you called I I forget what uh there was like a really depressive funny suicidal stoner doom. That's what it was. Say that one more time. Yeah, depressive suicidal stoner doom. Yes. So it's you know loud doom with like more yeah. like yelly vocal like ah, type yeah. stuff which is cool because i feel like yeah. i don't know why there aren't uh, like more bands in the genre that like do that maybe i don't like listen yeah. to enough music in that genre but it's like cool to hear that mixture of things it just makes it sound a little bit grosser yeah. and makes it sound like it's not <laughs> so much like it just gives it its own thing but that seems like a really simple thing like what was what was the yeah. story behind that like because i know like coming out of like doing deathcore and that those are two wildly different things but nobody can blame yeah. you for not wanting to be in a deathcore band anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm so, kidding i'm um, kidding whatever no, no, whatever no, 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 whatever no, no. music you like you like De- deathcore <laughs> has a has a soft spot in my heart there's a buddy of mine down here ace uh who's who will stuff me into a locker for my enjoyment of deathcore um <laughs> but he uh yeah man, like you know in 20, 2011 graduated um college and like i answered a craigslist ad actually to join the band they were like we need a we need a vocalist for our deathcore band um, and I was like, well, I like, you know, death metal and death core. All right. So like I tried out and we played in, in that band called Demise of the King was the name of the band. I think it might still be on Spotify. I'm not sure. It's definitely on Bandcamp. Um, but um, so, yeah. So like I did vocals for this death core band for four or three, three to four years or so. Um, and like did like low, like like death metal vocals, um, not as much in the like the high screams and not really much in like the raspy yells that I kind of do now. Um, more, you know, gutturals and, and, and death metal, traditional, like cookie monster vocals. And so, um, when that band kind of fizzled out and fell apart, um, I, I was just kind of, I don't even know why I wanted to play like doom or like riff based like music, but I, I was like, man, like I, somebody had shown me, uh, dope smoker by sleep. And I was like, this is fun. Like, this is so just like thick and just like you know it grooves and you just kind of like put it on and you just kind of bang your head right and so i was uh just kind of jamming these riff ideas in my head and i had joined up with um uh an, an old acquaintance of mine was getting a band started and they needed a bass player so i was showing up to play bass with them and like me and the drummer i don't even know how we got on the subject but it, it came out that we both were into like doom at least a little bit and I was like, dude, do you want to come over before practice and like jam some like doom riffs with me? And so that's kind of where the band formed is is for, out of that. And so whenever we were like trying to figure out what we wanted to do vocally um, at the time and in, in like 2015, it was all clean singing because um, I was listening to like a lot of Electric Wizard and The Sword and more like stoner rock stuff yeah. and, and not quite as aggressive. And so I was doing clean singing and... Uh, I want to say it was probably in like 2017 or so, like somebody turned me on to the band Weed Eater. Uh, and at, at that point, I was like, oh, shit, this is it, man. Like, because Weed Eater, Dixie Dave's vocals are are very much like mine. Like I, I 100% will own that I am totally ripping off Dixie Dave. Like he's he's the dude to me that like mastered the like 
this guy's done nothing but smoke cigarettes and eat gravel like for you know 10 years and is now doing vocals for this band like this raspy like drunken hollering it's great and so i was like man this like that vocal delivery is really cool i like it i can kind of do it um and so we started writing a little bit more in that style um and it was a lot easier on me uh to do vocals weirdly it's easier for me to do those kind of harsh vocals than it is for me to try and clean sing and figure out good melodies and create like things that sound nice um than it is just to hoot and holler and 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 make a big ruckus so um so that's really it's more just a function over over fashion kind of thing as far as why we're doing the harsh vocals i think it functions more in a live environment too, because a lot of the bands that lean on the cleaner side of a vocal delivery in the doom genre, Mm -hmm. it's a real, you never hear those guys in a live environment because like you have to sing so quiet to get the right sort of feeling while, you know, everybody's having like this pissing contest of who can be the loudest band that (laughs) night. Right. Which is tight. I'm into it. But it's like, it's like these two things don't work. So it's like, and like, I'm somebody, it's like, I like dynamics and music, but I also Mm -hmm. like when things kind of like make more sense and like are a little bit more like unique somehow. Like, I don't think that like everything that I interact, interact with creatively needs to be like, Oh, I've never heard anything like this before because that's just not the case ever, really. Yeah. But uh, I, I do. I was like, I think that it's cooler to have that. Like, I think in general, I just like grosser sounding music, no matter what, <laughs> unless it's like I'll, Bjork. I'll, you know, yeah, give, give me something very like very nice or like very uh, gross. I don't like well, when even, it mixes. Even even Bjork, uh, right on that Medulla album where she got Mike Patton and did like most of the stuff was just vocals mm-hmm. um, or like vocals with manipulation. Like there's Mike Patton's got some really good gross like deep vocal like where is the line with you? And then that fucking the boom boom boom. You're like oh it's that's sure awesome. Um, but yeah no I, I I'll take back the that I love that word the gross just gross music. Oh that that's connecting with me <laughs> on, a, on a spiritual level. Yeah I think that there's like a going back to this whole nostalgia thing like mm-hmm. the first time uh, I mean, you mentioned being a, a Slipknot fan. I was a Slipknot yeah. fan in middle school as well. We're probably pretty close to the same age, honestly. I'm 32. I'll dox my age. I'm 32. I nice. turned 33 I, in October. I'm 35. So I'm just okay. A, so a yeah, a couple years a couple around years the same age. Yeah. Sure. And uh, I remember the first time like hearing that first Slipknot album. Like mm-hmm. I had heard other things before that were like heavy. But mm-hmm. that was something that was just so gross and like ugly yeah. about it that I was like, this is like uncomfortable and I don't know if I should be like listening to this, not, but I not love to, it. Not to turn <laughs> it into a, a Slipknot podcast, but so was, um, I'd be interested, um, was Slipknot the first, we'll call it just aggressive music band for you? No, no way. Okay. Yeah. So, so like my... My my parents were pretty young when they had me, and my dad yeah. was a metalhead. So like, oh, okay. I grew up with like Megadeth and Metallica and Anthrax, mm. Cannibal Corpse cassette tapes laying around. Like, don't look at that, oh, wow. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. So yeah. like, you know, by the time that like, whenever like Slipknot's album came out, like I remember that was after like Fear Factory put out Obsolete, and I remember hearing mm-hmm. that, and like to this day, that's still probably like 
air quote like the heaviest album I've ever heard in my life yeah. quite maybe you know I mean it's all digital and computers yeah. and stuff but that's like Jesus <laughs> Christ it's it, right? so let's, like let's, that album let's take the humanity yeah, out it's of it so right? like intense <laughs> right and that was pre-Slipknot yeah. so no mm-hmm. uh, I had definitely heard like other extreme music but there was still something like really Man, interesting some, some, something like really cool and just like different about it like like yeah. all of the uh, that like Ross Robinson intentional leaving like the gurgling in the vocal production yep. and all of the yelling and things aren't quite perfect. It's like, geez, what's happening? Yep. You know, it just it sounded so like vulnerable and like imperfect, which was the complete opposite of that Fear Factory shit. Right. Yeah. Everything's so it, meticulous. It's kind of interesting to hear that um, that experience, because I've I've talked to several people who had much like you had like, you know, younger parents or or had parents that were into metal or other types of aggressive music. And when they heard Slipknot for the first time, they had the opposite reaction to you. They're like, they kind of saw it as like, no, like this is the commercialization of it again, or or, or this, that, or the other. It wasn't, it wasn't raw enough for them where for me, like I had very like, you know, traditional dad rock kind of, (laughs) of parents. Like my mom likes, um, like Sha Na Na and like um, acapella stuff. And my dad, you know, like classic rock, whatever. And so I, I distinctly remember hearing the song New Abortion um, on like a, a Flash video um, and being like, what is this? This is the most angry, like gross thing I've ever heard. And I, I went and found the Iowa CD and bought it and like was hooked. And that like, I, with that, without question, Slipknot was my introduction and gateway into the world of metal and aggressive music. And, you know, you kind of go from there, but, um, but yeah, so it's just fascinating to hear because a a couple other friends of mine are much like that, where like I showed them Slipknot and then they got into metal and I've heard other people who have had Slipknot be their gateway band. Um, I think it's a pretty common take, but I've not heard that take where it was like you were into metal before heard Slipknot and that, was still something that you were like, oh yeah, and gravitated towards. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think that I just liked like I mean I've always liked a ton of different music. And mm-hmm. you know, my even my like my my dad likes a ton of different music too. So it wasn't like all metal, but he listened to mm-hmm. a ton of metal. And uh I don't know. I mean like, you know, I was fucking maybe thirteen when that first record came out. I was pretty young. Okay. But like I mean the Sounds intensity right. of it, the package the costumes, all that stuff. They're like, you know, at the time, like I would always get like hit parader magazine and stuff like that. And there's, they're like all over everything. So it's like, they were like, you know, like rock stars to me. Cause I'm like still a kid, even though I have this exposure to all this other music, none of it was like that. Like it was like, cause I also, you know, I liked like cartoons and anime Mm -hmm. and movies and like all that shit. So it was so much like of everything in one package. I was like, Whoa, this is so much. I loved characters. it. Yeah, characters I loved it. And then, you know, I you, connect with. Yeah. But I remember having like when Iowa came out, I had friends that were older than me um, that were like, oh, whatever. I don't like Slipknot. You know, it's not Meshuggah or whatever. You know, I'm just like, okay, Jesus Christ. Um, and but then, you know, on the on the <laughs> yeah. on the flip, uh, you know, I had friends that like had never really heard anything like that before. And they liked it because of like the hooks like really good songwriting and the catchiness of it and all that stuff. So it's like interesting how Slipknot pulled so many different people together. And also like, 
how they got like you know that like very visceral like ah oh, fuck them it's the commercialization thing i remember like there was like an interview that i read in one of those like hit paraders or something mm-hmm. with like scott ian talking shit on slipknot and now it's like you know yeah. now they're all like fucking homies right but at the time i yeah. was i remember being like i like anthrax and i like sod and like why why don't actually it was i think it was specifically like the sod guys it's like an sod interview and they're like talking shit on yeah. slipknot which in hindsight makes sense they don't they talk shit on everything right so it's like yeah. but like why does this band that i like like slipknot you know just why can't they still, all just be yeah, homies and i'm still be like friends. a child right <laughs> but uh yeah it was uh yeah it was fun but yeah i i, I think that I still look back on all that stuff like very fondly. And like, I, I, you kind of grow out of it, you know, like, you know, your friends like, yo, check out this band called emperor. And you're like, Oh shit, what's this? (laughs) You know? And I like, it's wild too, because it's like, you know, in that three year period from like, you know, the first Slipknot record comes out. Then the next thing, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oh, all like, uh, you know, cradle of filth and satiricon and emperor. And, and yep. then, like even like you start trailing off into like the other weird stuff like your opeth or catatonia it's like anything from yeah. you know all that stuff and then slipknot's just kind of like left in the dust i for a bit. i had a i had a, a similar ish kind of my my trajectory a little bit a little bit um like i went from being very much into new metal and like slipknot was my favorite band basically all through middle school we'll say and like get you get to about freshman or sophomore year of high school and i discovered metalcore Mm. Um, and I realized that metalcore was doing similar kinds of things, but, um, cute girls liked metalcore more than they liked Slipknot. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I, I got into like Atreyu and, um, like Under Oath and Asley Dying and all those kinds of bands. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I, I transitioned kind of away from the new metal thing and away from Slipknot. And I remember whenever, like, like what was it was volume three, the subliminal verses came out and I like, I bought that album and I like listened to it and I was like, yeah, this is all right. But like, I wasn't as jazzed on it. And that was where I was like, okay, I can, I, I've, I've grown out of this. And especially whenever, whatever the next one was after that, I think it was like, all hope is gone is gone. (laughs) Yeah. So that one, I remember I didn't buy and my buddy, um, who I'd introduced Slipknot to did buy it. And he, like, he came to school and he's like, Hey man, like I bought, I bought no hope is gone or all hope is gone. And he's like, I, I don't think it's very good. And I was like, Oh shit, I guess we don't like this band anymore. Dude. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I got, I got into like metal core and like that, you know, kind of bridged into death core and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that basically took me all through, um, through college and such. And obviously like, I also like got in, I got into hip hop and rap at that point, um, in, in college and such. And like, I got into other things and like experimental music and, and my tastes widened immensely around then. But, um, it, it was interesting just how how into Slipknot and how into new metal I was basically all through middle school up until I discovered metalcore, and then I was like, oh wait, sure. I like this more because he's he's screaming and mad, but he can also sing some hooks. Yeah, for a chorus I think there about was, his feelings. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of interesting stuff in that time frame. I can remember like my friends being like, yo. Uh, check out this band called Atreyu and check out Avenge Sevenfold and, yep. you know, Azalea Dying and all that stuff. And, like, at this point, like, I'm, like, I think that, like, a lot when the, a lot of that stuff um, was starting to get really popular, I think I had kind of, like, really burned myself out 
on like the the depths of like weird black metal or like proggy European stuff or yeah. like you know like all this like you know Richmond Virginia grindcore death metal stuff you know like <laughs> like you know I'm yeah. like and all these extremes right and then like I have my friends listening to these bands and I'm like I don't really like any of this but then I heard a band called Thrice and I was like wow oh, man really good band really yeah. good songwriting really it like totally band. like reset my brain in terms of like oh okay like I can engage with like popular rock music again yeah. in some way and uh i liked it you know i, I really Thrice, liked uh that Thrice was is interesting and in that they have they definitely have that crossover appeal like i know lots of dudes that like you know love cannibal corpse and love like you know a really heavy stuff but like man you put on artists in the ambulance and they're singing along to every song yeah uh it's i mean they're great they're great songwriters yeah i uh, love it yeah killer killer songs and you know, with, <laughs> um, you know, finding out about like all of these things and like seeing how music evolves. I remember also when All Hope Is Gone came out, mm -hmm. listening to Psychosocial, me and my buddy were just like, what is this? What are Slipknot doing? But now you look back on that song a decade yep. later and you're like, this is the blueprint for pretty much everything that happened after it. Yeah. So it's like, even though we had grown out of Slipknot, like all the kids that were starting bands that were 13 then were yep. still gravitating to that. They were still that gateway band for them. And like, yeah. you know, now it's so fun. Like if you go to a Slipknot show, you'll see like anybody from like, you know, anybody from 10 to 60 years old there in a yeah. Slipknot shirt. It's wild. But yeah, it's crazy. It, like how they've been like, uh, there's bands like, uh, like like bring me the horizon right who mm -hmm. they're like these fortune tellers and they kind of like dictate like what the scene of, of like their thing is going to be right they always yep. they, they're these they, i don't know how they do it that, but i think like slipknot's very much been like that for like the american what we'll just call mainstream metal side of things yeah that's a good way to put it and and you the bring me the horizon thing is funny because i was just talking to somebody about that like they were you know the the band that was kind of merging the aggressive like deathcore slash metalcore like kind of genty thing um but then so let's throw in the lincoln park vocals um <laughs> yeah you know with that with a sempaternal out and you're just like and like i there was that period of, and i mean there are still bands that are doing it it's not gone away but like I remember what it was like two or three years ago. Like every time I would see a new band pop up in my timeline on like uh, on Facebook or whatever, or someone sharing a video, I'd like pull it up and it would be a band doing the link. They'd have the fucking Meshuggah riffs, bow, bow, da, 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 da. and then it would get to the chorus and it'd be like, and now I'm coming back for you, doing the fucking uh, Linkin Park <laughs> chorus. And I'm like, Man, you know, this is the this is just the natural evolution of the slipknot thing, right? It's it's the metal riffs for the verses and then like hooks for days on those choruses. And you know what? Good good on them. Uh if, if you can write a, a catchy, catchy hook and and you've got cool songwriting chops, I'm like Phew, go for it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh I I just I I like a good song. And like as I've gotten older, yeah. I think that that's the thing that ended up getting me out of a lot of these weird subgenres that I was mm -hmm. into is like there's a lot of bands that yeah. have like a really cool aesthetic, but like I don't know very many yeah. black metal bands that are great songwriters. There's 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 a handful. Um and and but yeah, you're you're totally right. I have the same experience where it's like 
I, I'm looking at my recently played, and it kind of hits on that nostalgia point you you're talking about earlier. Like I was listening to The Locust earlier, nice, and like yeah. I fucking love The Locust. They're so fun, and like again, they're a band that's like dripping with with aesthetic and like style, and like when a Locust song comes on, you're like, oh, well, that's The Locust, but um, but like it's not really like songwriting in in the sense of what i would expect from other bands sure and that's not a knock on them they're just doing it totally different um but as i've gotten older i've i've wanted more in the way of hooks i've wanted more in the way of interesting things and things that build and then yeah come back and dynamics like you were mentioning i like all of those kinds of things there's so. something about like intent right like if you yeah. you know like you go to a restaurant or you go over a friend's house and they like had this intention of preparing a specific meal and you sit down and you eat it and you could taste all the nuance and how like, Oh, how this goes with that and what makes Mm -hmm. it a good side and what makes that a good wine or bourbon or beer to pair with this, like all that stuff. Like I enjoy that sometimes. Like when you listen to something like the locust, it's kind of like just going to a buffet and just throwing it all on the plate. Like, fuck fuck it. This is fun. (laughs) This is rad. It's messy. It's chaotic. There is some structure to it. You know, yeah. uh, but uh, it's just a different it's a different thing. And my brain just doesn't need that anymore. Because it's like, yeah. what is the, like, the repeatability factor sometimes of music like that? Like when you've never heard like the first time I heard Plague mm-hmm. Soundscapes, my brain's like, yeah. what the fuck is this? Right. But then like yep. the replay value is like, OK, like it's fun to like show it to other people that have never heard it before. But like yeah. just like listening to it on my own, I don't do. But like there's a lot of other albums that are like. I want to hear like songs. I think if yeah. I'm just like listening to stuff, that's the stuff that like makes me always want to go back to it. It's like, and a song doesn't even necessarily have to have like a hook or like be like in a pop format, but there's just like a purpose, movement, right? Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's like, it's like the, telling a story, right? There's some the, sort of a narrative on the locust point. Yeah. Like you said, so plague, uh, I think plague soundscapes was the first one I heard as well. I, I, I ripped the CD from my buddy Heath and, um, and like, I was really into plague soundscapes. And the next album they put out after that, I think they put out that EP that uh, Safety Second Body Last after that, maybe. Yeah. But the next full length was that uh, was what AOT KPA, or I think. Mm-hmm. And um, that album is like a pretty sizable departure sonically and stylistically, and especially songwriting wise, from everything else they'd done. And at the time, I was like, nah, this is done. This isn't the Locust. They're, they're, these song, this song is three minutes long. The Locust song has to be 30 seconds. But now that's the album I go back to more than any of them because I can put it on and the album flows. It's got movement. There's parts like it's it's got the extra little bit of, you know, the it's it's not going to the buffet, just putting 20 things yeah. on my plate. It's being handed uh, a meal. And um, that's, you know, one of the things that kind of getting back to, to us, like with with Doom as a genre, almost everything musically really in any genre but especially in doom like the genre itself is really just based off of trying to sound like black sabbath's masters of reality right like that's kind of the the idea of doom um and like you know throw a couple spices here and there but like i when we try and put together songs like we're a lot of bands that we'll listen to will enjoy it but we'll like listen we're like man this is like three riffs total and like it's basically just like let's play riff a for five minutes with some dynamic changes Mm -hmm. then let's play riff b for five minutes with some dynamic changes and then we'll play riff c for five minutes with some dynamic changes. yeah and then we're done and like that has its place and that has its time and like i enjoy it but when we try and write that we hate ourselves and so like basically since 
um, our, our first full length um, DSSD, we've really tried when we sit down to write songs and write riffs and come things together, we try and, and write like in a songwriting capacity, like, well, all right, like, you know, you have your verse, pretty traditional pop songwriting styles of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and like structuring things to where they make sense and where they flow and bringing riffs back again um, and, and try and put some hooks in there. Um, and it's not necessarily what we see a lot of, of doom bands um, kind of doing of just like, let's play a riff and then we'll play another riff and then play another riff and be done. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. We just, we struggle yeah. to write like that. I, we, we have a hard time with it. So two points I want to make. One, mm-hmm. I had this thought thinking about like, if, if we were going to compare like doom to like any sort of food cooking mm-hmm. technique, I think doom yeah. is like the barbecue yeah. of music. I can see that. You know, it's I can uh, see that. You, you there, put it on slow cooking. It- yeah, and it's all about nuance. It's all, all about, about smoky. how, yeah, how you control the. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. The 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 you know, like you know, a little bit of a temperature change and a little bit of this yep. extra spice can really make all the difference in the world between one person's barbecue yeah. being like dog shit and yours being great. And yeah. the other thing too, where I think a lot of people fuck up when they're thinking about writing songs, like. Like, oh, I don't want to write this verse, chorus, verse, chorus, simple thing. And I think that it's not so much about like songs being like verse, chorus, but like what is in mm-hmm. between? I think it's like the transitions yeah. between those parts. Like sometimes it's that little yeah. thing, how you like stitch two parts of a song together yeah. can really make or break. And I feel like the overall structure can be as simple as you want. But if you have these complex transitions, whether yeah. you're jumping like, between keys or time signatures or even it's just like the, the feel like the dynamic shift can really be like wow this is fucking great and on the surface there's only four parts mm-hmm. to this song but you're really playing with them in a cool yeah. way you know well, well and, and it kind of hits on um it, it, this is a little bit of a, a stylistic shift but like you look at jazz right sure. like a lot of jazz standards it's it's just changes with a head and then you play those same changes but you're taking solos and then you play changes with the head um, early, at least with like, you know, the standards. Um, and yeah, there's exceptions to the rule, but it's the exception that proves the rule. Like if you play Mr. PC, you're playing a 12 bar blues and like taking, uh, taking solos, you play giant steps, giant steps is one set of changes, right? Um, or, you know, um, uh, lonely woman by Ornette Coleman is what a B and then just um, the AB changes again um, with solos. And so, you know, it, like you said, it's, it's how you approach those and, or how you move from part to part is um, what makes it interesting. Um, I, I think a band that does that really well, like when you br- if you break down their songs to like their simplest form um, and just like chart them out as ABA, like it's pretty simple. But like when you listen to it, it moves and it flows and it, it keeps you engaged all the way through. And they're not short songs. Um, is your guys is Jake the Hawk. Mm-hmm. Those guys are like just masters at that. Like taking parts that aren't like maybe um, melodic, not melodically, um, like the, the chords that are going on or the chord changes that are happening. There's not a ton going on there or it's just a riff, but they're able to layer in good stuff. They have interesting transitions from one part to the next. They do a really good job of bringing callbacks of musical themes. Oh, it's awesome. I love yeah. Jake the Hawk. So good. I think that sometimes as a songwriter, it's easy to forget that like, 
you know, the music is just like, it's a conversation between like you and the listener, right? Mm -hmm. So what other conversations have happened in the world don't always necessarily matter in that moment. So it's mm -hmm. like, but as a songwriter, you're thinking about like, oh, like this is too simple. Well, simple to what? Like you're comparing it to yeah. all of this other music that exists. It's like just be in yeah. the moment of right now. Just make this moment, you know, this four, five, six, seven minutes really cool for you and the listener. And then like everything else doesn't fucking matter. It, yeah. it, it's like, you know, it's, uh, but I think for some people, especially people in like, rock or metal or anything where there's or jazz or anything where there's like mm -hmm. you know this like virtuoso uh romanticizing of the virtuoso yeah. can really sometimes like poison the uh the intent of a songwriter yeah i it, it's one of those um and to the virtuoso point um i i appreciate and i have a lot of respect and i enjoy a lot of like that kind of stuff like um, like really proggy stuff, like, Hey, let's see how many notes we can fit in or, Hey, like, let's see if we can play this song in, in, you know, 15, eight or whatever. Um, but like, if it's not serving the song, like what's it doing? Or if it's not serving the connection of you to me, um, and again, like what's it doing? Uh, I think like some of the, if it doesn't flow, like if it just doesn't, if it doesn't land, then it doesn't land. And like uh, a band, like between the buried and me, like I love BT Bam. Um, but like some of their stuff, like if like it just sounds like it's just noodling for the sake of noodling. And then other ones, I'm just like, there we go. There's the sauce. It's gelled together. It feels intentional. It feels like it wasn't just like, okay, well, like I've got a meter of let, let's just let's roll the random number generator of what meter we should play in and what sure. keys and, and what scales we should throw together. Um, so I, I think, like you said, at the end of the day, it's how are you connecting with the with the person and are you creating something that like makes logical sense to the listener? Mm -hmm. Um and and that's maybe not always a consistent thing because each listener takes their own piece out of it. But um, I, don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that there's you know, between the Baron and me is a band that I I really really enjoyed quite a lot um, for a while for a a, a a nice chunk of their their albums. I think like mm -hmm. you know definitely everything through colors and then whatever came out after that. I remember buying great all of those direct. albums when they came out and I was like, these are all great albums. But then I think that I just like stopped needing to hear that much music at once. Yeah. <laughs> like I, 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 I understand, I recognize the talent yeah. uh, and I would never say that they're, uh, you know, I have nothing bad to say about them. It's just for yeah. me, it's kind of like, you know, like I don't go to Chipotle anymore. I don't know why I'm comparing so many things to food, <laughs> but it's just like, it's like too much. You're hungry. It's dinner time, baby. It's, you got to get it, some food in you. There's like, there's, it's just too much, right? There's, there's just too much stuff. I put, you, yeah. you, there's no way it's like, you see them kind of like struggling to wrap this burrito at the end of everything. And like, yeah, sometimes like, that's what I feel like listening to between the bear to me is like, just like songwriters trying to yeah, wrap yeah. this fucking burrito. There's just way too much. And Hey, you know, some people like that. I don't. That's that's a great analogy. I love it. Between the Barry to be is going to Chipotle and trying to get to well, fuck not Chipotle. We have to be Qdoba, right? Because you got to get them free, them free fixings. In. Oh. You, gotta, you don't want to pay for them. Yeah, um, yeah. You're like, listen, I would like the queso and I'd like the fajita veggies in there. And can you throw some avocado in that some bitch? I wouldn't have that. I don't want the avocado myself, but I know people that do. Can we can we um, talk about avocados real quick? Can we talk no, about? Avocado? I don't want to talk about them. I hate avocados. Well, so <laughs> you can. 
Well, this is the thing. Like, I'm not crazy about avocados either. I don't mm-hmm. mind guacamole, but if there's like yep. cut up avocados on something, I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't know what it is. I know people really like it. I don't enjoy it. Hey, it's, it's fine. The the it's if it's there, I'll eat it. But like, yeah, I've never understood the fascination that some people seem to have with avocados, or they they just don't do it for. Is them, there a man. lot like, of avocado right. eating in Kentucky? <laughs> I mean, there's avocado eating anywhere. There's white women, right? <laughs> Um, they, uh, ah, I mean, there's as much avocado eating down here as there is anywhere. We have sure. Chipotle. We yeah. have Cuba, uh-huh. so. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, 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 uh, hamming it up on a, on a dumb social bias for a second. You know, no, <laughs> I, th- I think, bias. I think that there is, you know, a lot to be said about, uh, the way that, you know, two people that we have never talked before. At all. Mm-hmm. And like, I really feel like I'm just talking with somebody that like I could have easily went to high school with. Like, it's interesting mm-hmm. how, you know, completely different. Uh, we live in different places. I guess we live in America, which is, you know, a yeah. whole, whole ball of fuck, but we live in two different states yeah. and, you know, we have different backgrounds. I don't know everything about your background, but hey, you know, mm-hmm. there's the, we still have these similar interests of like, you know, we know about weird Mike Patton Bjork things and weird, <laughs> you know, locust stuff. And, you know, we're yeah. into like all of these similar things. And I think it's it's fun. It's it's always interesting to meet new people. And it's also uh, kind of interesting to to feel like, you know, when I was younger, you know, I felt like my tastes were so unique, but they really weren't. Yeah. What, well, it, it, what is being unique and does it matter? I guess that's yeah. more, that's that like goes back to like the songwriting thing. Like, does it matter? Yeah. Why yeah, do it we probably, do, yeah. it probably doesn't matter. Well, and I mean, you're, I think you hit it on the head too. Is like, um, well, first of all, I mean, we've had a, a long, long period of time to, to kind of formulate and congeal all those different interests into the person that you are today. Um, as well as I think that a lot of those weirder off the wall interests, even back then, maybe weren't quite as off the wall or weird as we would have liked to have thought. Um, and, and frankly, I mean, you know, you kind of attract the, the people into your life or into your interactions that are, that are similar to you oftentimes, you know, we, our mutual friend Hux, um, you know, has similar interests to both of us. And so, you know, it's friends of friends, you're all kind of not tribalism. It's not like a, uh, it's not to that extent, but you know, people of similar interests tend to find each other, right? Totally. You know, if I go, if I go up to mag, uh, to the, to the local bar, the mag bar, um, that we play at all the time, like I can probably, you know, if I throw a rock in there, it's probably going to bounce off the head of, of somebody that likes much of the same things as I do. Now there's also a contingent of people there that will have very little in similar with me, other than the fact that they like to go to mag. Um, but you know, you, you kind of tend to flock together. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Absolutely. With your band, she, mm-hmm. you have a new album coming out in yep. October. Yes. If my memory serves me correctly, Basement Wizard. That's it. You got it. October fifth. <laughs> man, the sound effects <laughs> process. Yeah, October fifteenth is the the street date for that. It'll be up on um, 
streaming platforms on Bandcamp, all that stuff. You can pre-order it right now on Bandcamp, um, and it'll it'll come out October fifteenth, and then the following evening, Saturday night, October sixteenth, at the Magnolia Bar in Louisville, will be our album release show with our friends Prayer Line, who are from uh, from Louisville, and they're wonderful band um like kind of horror punk very like influenced by like, i would say like kind of misfitsy like just like punk like a little bit of crossover thrash uh, of, on their more recent stuff cool um and they just put out a new album um and then our friends from nashville bazooka tooth are coming up and they're oh boy mag's not ready for them uh bazooka tooth is just intensity incarnate uh fast songs like hardcore punk power violence influence stuff um, they're tracking a new album right now and they put up a little teaser of them tracking it. And I heard that HM2 in the background. I said, Oh daddy, I'm ready for it. So, um, <laughs> it it's going to be a good time. Hell yeah. That's super duper awesome. I think that, um, we can probably wrap this conversation up very shortly. Okay. Um, but what I want to know is when are you coming to Pittsburgh. Oh man, that's the that's the money question. All right, so we we were fortunate enough our first show back um well really quick we'll frame it up. Our our final show that we played before the pandemic shutdowns last year in March was at Howlers up <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Yeah. That was our final show before uh lockdown. Um so that was rad. We had so much fun in Pittsburgh. Our first show back post lockdowns and post COVID was up in uh, Youngstown at Westside bowl, which was, Oh my gosh, I cannot speak highly enough about that experience. Um, so that was rad. We are going to try and get up to Pittsburgh to see you guys in the spring. Um, we haven't announced it yet. We're, we're doing a weekend tour um, in November and then we're going to try and do another weekend run um, that direct, we're kind of, we're going West, uh, a little, not far West. We're going to St. Louis and then cool. we make our way back, yeah. but we're going a little bit West, uh, for this winter tour. And then in the spring, I'm trying to go North up to you guys and then kind of hit that area. Um, I would say maybe in like March or April, cool. um, Hell yeah. but that's all still, you know, kind of in the crystallization phase and figuring it out but that's the goal i, I want yeah. to come up and see you guys I totally get it the next time that you're through i will do my darndest to be there as okay. long as i'm around you know what will happen is my band will be playing we'll in louisville <laughs> <laughs> you guys will, you got we'll, we'll, we'll be ghost ships in the night right mm -hmm. i said ghosts in the night and that's not the phrase at all it's ships in the night but it, it's it, fine it, nobody well, knows yeah it, it's totally fine well with all of that being said, my friend, I'm going to do my outro and then I'm going to let you get on with your day. And speaking of bands, I'm going to go to band practice because that's, oh, man. that's what time it is for me. I feel you. Rock and well, thank roll. You, thank you again for having me on, my dude. Yeah, much, you're much very welcome. It was Great nice conversation. To, yeah, nice to meet you. I, uh, I look forward to the next time. Plenty more chit-chatting to happen. Certainly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, with that being said, that is all, folks. Thanks so much for being here. One more time. Bail. She. Check them out. Enjoying this outro music. <laughs> I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2021. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening. And we're done. That's a podcast. We made it happen. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. Nice. That outro music is a banger. <laughs>